Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. But I think it's that nowadays people are interested in in food. Kind of certainly, uh, people a lot more kind of food, would identify themselves as foodies, wouldn't they nowadays? Yeah, yeah. Whereas possibly a few years ago they might not. I think a lot of people pay a lot more attention. So hopefully yeah. it's just a natural progression to paying attention to historical food. Mm, indeed. Hello, welcome back to part two of our episode about Apicius. Yesterday, we've seen a lot about Apicius' life and death. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the story. And, and then the other, the, the kind of the other thing I, that I did to, to kind of whittle down which recipes to, to go for, so the ones, not, not necessarily the ones that told, maybe told a story, but with ones named after him, because mm. there's only about a dozen that, that have his name, and I kind of thought, well, that's... That seems as good a, yeah. a good a way as any to to yeah. uh, to pick because it, it's from Quias. That gives you quite a, a good slice from uh, slice through the cookbook. So you've got things like Apician um, conchicla, which is uh, some sort of it's like a, a, a dish involving p- uh, pork and peas. Mm. I mean, there's about three different types and lucanicae and pork meatballs, and, and that was that was quite a good introductory dish for me. And then. You've got things like the patina, the minitao, which is like a stew. Yes. Uh, and, and I mean, again, I was leaving out the testicles and the sweet. <laughs> so Sainsbury's didn't, Sainsbury's didn't have. Strange that. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Yeah, my, my Sainsbury's doesn't have it either. So, um, But um, yeah, you're mentioning the, the pork and the peas. I mean, to anybody that cooked once or twice in their life, I mean, it sounds like a great combination already. Peas and pork. I mean, we we have something similar nowadays, like pea and ham soup, for example. So it doesn't seem to be out of. It doesn't seem to be too alien, really, does it? And I think, I think there's. I mean, it helps that there's so many recipes to choose from that you can. There's there's a lot. I mean, like I said, there's a lot to be. that's unfamiliar as soon as you, if you're used to a modern recipe, when you see these ancient recipes. But then there's a lot a lot of familiar things like the pork and peas. Um, you know, it's. It's cooking peas in a in a saucepan with diff- a couple of different types of ham, uh, with some spices 
most of which are familiar. I mean, you know, it's ground pepper, it's oregano, it's dill, it's coriander, it's it's all stuff that we would, I mean, it's only occasionally you have to go out of your comfort zone and get mastic, for example, or lovage or stuff like that. Yeah, lavage is the one that um, it's difficult to find the seeds. Um, so well, the celery seeds, celery seeds is apparently quite similar. That's what I ended yeah. up using as a substitute quite a lot Great. of the time. Good uh, tip. Uh, yeah, I'm using celery seeds uh, sometimes, but I also I'm growing lavage in my garden. <laughs> so, so I've got the, <laughs> I'm going to that uh, length. <laughs> but then and then stuff like the 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 garum, and I think you've ta- you've talked about this before. The the kind of the Thai fish sauce is mm. probably probably not exactly the same, but poss- quite is possible. It, it adds the same kind of umami texture that I imagine you'd have got from the Roman equivalent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've done a whole episode about garum, uh, which um, covers all the possibilities and all the ways that uh, whatever the archaeologists and the food historians you know found and they came up with, and obviously what we know from the modern Thai fish sauce and Vietnamese fish sauce. And also, I think Sally Granger did um, like um, more more in-depth, um, you know, trying to find out about Garmore and and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I was based a lot on her research about Garum and how it's familiar to, you know, the modern fish sauce and so on. And also the, Nestor- the restaurant Noma in uh, Denmark, uh, one of the, maybe the best restaurant in the world, apparently. Um, they do a lot of different garums. So they have a book about fermentation, and in the book about fermentation, they have um, about 10 recipes of garum, how to make your own garum at home. And yeah, fish garum and shrimp garum and even meat garum. And they, they've gone to other extreme lengths of <laughs> of making this uh, fermented. Um, did, you, did you have a garum? Did you try and ferment your own garum? I haven't yet. Um, <laughs> I, that was where I drew the line as well. Yeah. And making my own garum, I thought it might test um, the bounds of my relationship a little bit too much. Yeah, because I mean, I was cook- I was forced I was forcing my partner to eat um, <laughs> to eat a lot of this Roman cooking, and he's sometimes suspicious on <laughs> the best of times of my cuisine. Yes, Probably. you can imagine the you can imagine the comments from the neighbours if you had all the. Fermenting uh, fish guts out the back of the out in the back garden. Oh God, yes, um, I'm looking forward to it actually. <laughs> I think, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of my regrets. Is, is I didn't really get a chance to delve into uh, Roman bread. I think that would mm. be quite. A, uh, there's quite a few recipes. I don't think there's there's not really any recipes in Apicius for uh, bread beyond the the flat bread. But I think right. it's used on one occasion. But there's, there certainly are recipes for Roman bread floating around um, that I, I'd have loved to have tried out as part of this project but I never got around to like, possibly want to come back to yeah yeah I think um, I definitely haven't done enough uh, with Roman breads or ancient it's a whole episode or, there maybe ancient yeah, breads yeah yeah I think not only episode yeah I want to actually do some you know different recipes experiment with different yeasts like I think they used a lot of uh, wine yeasts or grape yeasts yeah, which was obviously more easily available in a way. Uh, so much wine. Yeah, I think a lot of the. I mean, I think a lot of the. You can see that in some of the, some of the recipes. A lot of it is obviously byproducts of various things. I think a lot of the sauces. Apicius, one of the things Apicius is famous for is is his sauces. Although it's not entirely in evidence in the in the actual cookbook, but I think a lot of that was was uh, sauces that would then go with leftover meat. So they might, you know, mm. if they've done a big. I guess like we do that today. If you've done a big. Pork, pork roast, for example, you have a lot of leftovers. So yeah. it's, it's it's then maybe sauces that are used 
with the leftovers. Yeah, so I mean that's yeah, one of the two the two things that I can I think it was Appian, one of the later writers kind of comments that he's famous for is sauces and cakes, both of which um are kind of lacking actually in his his, his cookbook, certainly cakes. His, apparently he was famous for his cheesecakes. Mm. And unfortunately we don't have a recipe for cheesecakes. Uh, but I used um I made a couple of his sauces. So I was trying to um, cook mullet because obviously in, in homage to his uh, the kind of story about him bidding in for the, the fish market in the fish market exactly yeah. and and th- there's not so there's not so many recipes for mullet but there are recipes for sauces to go with mullet and one of the ones I made was a dill sauce uh, which is quite quite tasty actually it was it was just um, kind of pepper which seems to be in all the cookbook uh, in all the recipes in Apicius there's a lot of pepper involved I think it was quite a new ingredient at the time it was quite fashionable yeah so there's pepper there's dill seeds there's oil and vinegar and wine and then a little bit of garum of course um and 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 that's just again that's it's just quite a simple combination of ingredients that's a familiar we we can all we've all cooked we've all prepared um kind of dressings and sauces like that Mm. that's uh, so that that was one of the ones I, I quite liked that was quite tasty especially with the mullet um yeah <laughs> and then there's the um the other one i made was one that went with his one of his pork dishes uh, which was it's called uh, offilai which kind of means a uh, small kind of small pieces of meat uh, okay uh, so it's uh it, it's probably a pork belly i i think i used a pork belly and it's um uh, dry roasted uh, and then uh put in the oven and then the, the sauce is made out of um again pepper lovage cumin again cumin comes up in a lot of these recipes uh, and then liguamin uh, and then wine or more garum was added and then again that's quite a, it was quite a tasty combination of, uh, of of ingredients and then the 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 meat was chopped up once it had roasted or kind of almost like pulled pork i think or slightly yeah. kind of sliced into cubes and then it was all mixed up in this sauce and, and that was quite a that was quite a tasty one as well. It's not quite made the cut in our household as, as something I cook regularly, but it's the sort of thing I could imagine cooking. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's always quite interesting. I don't, I, I suspect you, I don't know if you found this when you were trying the garum out and cooking the garum. Quite often when you were when you're cooking with the garum, it creates this horrendous stench when you put it in the like a hot pan. Yeah, um, and and it quite overwhelms the, the kitchen quite, quite literally in terms of the smell. Absolutely. To the point where you're, to the point where you're like, I'm not entirely sure I want to eat this. But then when it comes together with a lot of the ingredients, it's it it just adds this really subtle undercurrent of flavour, which I found quite. That was one of the more interesting things with the sort with a lot of the sauces in Apicius was the was kind of this just the flavour combination was interesting in in, in a good way. It was it, it, I I didn't I don't think I cooked anything that was horrible. Great. It was all surprisingly tasty. Which, which I probably shouldn't be surprised at. But. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a period of 2,000 years afterwards, so tastes and, um, you know, the taste buds change and people, yes. the way they cook and they eat change. So, yeah, I mean, it could have been completely and utterly repulsive, but um, it hasn't been, and <laughs> I think it's kind of surprising in a way. Um, yeah, it's always a pleasant surprise. I mean, it, yeah. it probably helps that I, I had this... Um, I was quite self-selecting in terms of what I cooked. I wasn't setting out to cook everything, so obviously yeah. I was picking. I was picking things that looked quite nice. I wasn't the the ones with the brain, you know, the pig brains. I, I left them to the side, for example. Mm. So I, there was a certain element of, you know, I'd introduced a bias that I was probably going to be right. picking ingredients that sounded right. tasty, like the ro- the roast pork and sauce. That sounds delicious already. 
yes. there was more chance that it was going to be tasty than perhaps if you'd set out to cook everything, which I suspect you might come across a few dishes that you probably made your, would make your stomach turn <laughs> or might involve literally stomach. <laughs> I am a very adventurous person in terms of cooking and eating, so I like most of the things. Yeah, go on about the patina pisciana. Well, I think, I mean, the, the so, I mean, a normal patina, there's, I guess they must have been, they're probably one of the more popular dishes, given how many recipes there are for them. And and they tend to be like a, you know, a pan of meat or a pan of vegetables. And then you break the, you seem to break the eggs into it and kind of cook it up a bit like an omelette, a bit like a custard. But then the, the Apician patina, uh, it's something else entirely i think it's it does it definitely involves these uh, you know a large amount of meat it uses cooked udder uses fi- fish chicken um fig peckers which i think are some sort of like a thrush you know like a little bird or something probably yeah. cooked whole pretty cooked whole i guess <laughs> and these are all di- these are all diced up and then there's all sorts of spices going there and then there's eggs of course as well but then the interesting thing about this is it's like le- after you've cooked all this chopped meat up and uh, it's layered up in a dish um, with uh, flatbreads on top between the layers, and it's it's so from it's it's so much like a lasagna. I mean, apart from possibly the cooked udder and flaked fish, but in con- in kind of concept, this you know creating this dish of layers, yeah. and the, the uh, I mean doubly so when you uh, realise that the, the the word for this these flatbreads is, is lagana, which just I, I I don't know enough about the history of pasta to know if this is kind of a uh, you know predecessor an ancestor of lasagna but yeah. it certainly it certainly looks like it is in terms of the concept yeah yeah certainly yeah it's very interesting i mean it kind of almost makes you think that there were things similar to pasta before so yeah i think that there was um, an element that um, i think ancient greeks and ancient romans had that pasta type of things, proto-pasta. And I think it was also invented in China with noodles. So I think we had two different parts of the world that invented uh, this thing. Kind of parallel evolution. Kind of. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, this is one of my... The Episcian patina is one of my regrets. That's one of the ones that got away that I didn't get around <laughs> to cooking. Just cause, I mean, just because it's quite an ambitious... It's one of the ambitious recipes in there, I yeah. think. One of the um, higher higher ability ones, I'd have thought. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think um, we should uh, try it soon then. <laughs> yes, maybe next time if you can, if you do another one of your Roman cookery evenings. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll have the patina, apiciana, <laughs> in your honour. <laughs> yeah, um... it's kind. Of, I mean, it's kind of an interesting. I always think it's. It, it, it's. I mean, Roman cuisine is such a big topic anyway isn't it that this is very much we're talking about a pissy and roman cuisine it's it's through that kind of middle class upper middle class aspirational lens which probably i suspect doesn't bear much relation to ge- roman cuisine in general but it's certainly because it's the, the cookbook that survived it's the one we end up looking at mm. there, there are uh, there is a cookbook called roman cookery who i can't remember who that's by mark Sorry, I've left it across the um, other side of the room. Uh, but that that tries to get to the Roman cookery beyond Apicius. Um, but right. I think it's such a it's such a fascinating, um, such a fascinating topic. And I think people nowadays are quite experimental when it comes to cooking. They're, I think people are a lot more interested in food in general and trying things out than maybe they used to be. 
and as well people are quite interested in the ancient world i think it's quite a, it's quite a good time for people to be trying to experiment with ancient recipes and ancient cuisine and because we have so much um well so so many of Apicius's recipes survive and as a result have been studied and interpreted primarily yeah. by Sally Sally Granger it's quite an easy if people what do want to like just try cooking Roman food or uh, one, one type of Roman food I think a, there's worse places to start than Apicius maybe <laughs> they start with the Apician patina but but yeah there are plenty of other um, simpler recipes and um, accessible and also the ingredients you can find them nowadays it's yeah especially yeah not uh, you don't even have to go as far as like a a, a deli or a specialist cook shop a, mm. a lot of the most of the most of the ingredients i found quite happily in sainsbury's or or the local supermarket it was uh, i did not have to go particularly out of my way to, to to find this stuff and you have you have to slightly you have to be quite flexible when it comes to um if we're using the original ingredient a recipe uh, in terms of guessing what in what quantities but like i said sally granger has done a fantastic job in a couple of cookbooks now of, of distilling it down and working out through experimentation how much of stuff to use and even the um like the utensils and equipment used is it, it's stuff you have in your kitchen already obviously the romans wouldn't have used a, a, a fan oven but no. there's you know they, they'd have probably had an oven in some capacity or something that would approx you know that will lead to the same end result as stick it in the oven for half an hour yeah yeah i think yeah i think they did in in well i think it was the ancient greeks that they invented the oven as, as we know it you know with a closed door and so on so th- i'm sure they would have the romans took the concept further and improved it and for sure they would have plenty of, not not every household obviously it's something very expensive and very energy consuming but definitely you would have markets and outdoor uh, food stalls and this kind of places that there will be plenty of ovens for cooking. Um, yeah, for masses, basically. So, yeah, I think uh, it's it's not a million miles away, most of the stuff that we can do nowadays. And, and compared to what they did 2,000 years ago. And if you, yeah, I mean, if you go to the British Museum and see the treasures from different parts of the Roman Britain. And you, you can see the kitchen utensils and you see what they used and the, uh, all the tableware and cookware. And almost all of them, they have something familiar, something that um, fu- fundamentally hasn't changed, really. Yeah. And it, yeah, even the, I suspect, again, you could probably have a whole episode on Roman dining and Roman dining rooms and dining culture, but fundamentally part of the fact that they're lying on their fronts yeah. on their sides to eat the the concept of a three-course meal is very familiar to us the the kind of com- the the sort of dinner which comes with many different dishes is familiar to us it's it might not be how we eat every night but it's certainly you know if you go to a ta- out for tapas or for chinese the concept of having lots of dishes with lots of different foodstuffs of uh, kind of concoctions yeah that's that's quite a familiar concept to us. That's not a, that's not an alien that's not an alien thing. That's you know it's familiar. Exactly. Yeah. If you kind of turned up at a Roman dining table, you would know what to do. Possibly, <laughs> mostly. Um, I suppose they had different names. How? What was the name for the um, first course? Mm. Mm, Top of was, my head. <laughs> Gustatio. Gustatio. Yeah, Gustatio. Yeah. Yeah, Gustatio. Gustatio, and then the main course. Is Mensa Primae. Mensa Primae. 
Yeah, and then mince the secundae, which was the kind of desserts. Mm. So it's, 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 as you'd expect, gustacea is the, you know, the first course, and that's the appetizers, the, the start of the, the kind of stuff to cleanse and stimulate your palate yeah. to kind of wet your, wet your appetite. Wet your yeah. appetite. <laughs> and the, the main course, the mensae primae, primae is the, um, that's the main course. That's what you'd expect to get your vegetables and your meat and your fish and all sorts of things. And then the mensae secundae is the, it's your dessert. It's, it's again, quite a familiar. There's something familiar about that as a, as a concept. Yeah, very familiar. Yeah, exactly. Everything sounds um, quite modern in a way. Um, I mean, and I don't know how much that is us projecting. You know, it's it's recognizable to us, so therefore we're you know we're kind of homing in on the recognizable stuff and and ignoring the stuff that's not familiar, like the dining couches or the <laughs> yeah, true, <laughs> or the watered down wine. I guess and that's water, another yes. thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I haven't tried that one. <laughs> I guess in that respect, I'm <laughs> barbarian. You'd be considered yeah. a barbarian, I think, <laughs> wouldn't you? You'd drink your wine neat, unmixed. Um, but, on uh, my defence, I have always a glass of water next to my glass of wine, so... Well, there you go. It's, the, it's like the spiritual successor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of, Yeah, I'm reading now that, yeah, diced watermelon dressed with mint and pieces of cheese and bread. I mean, that's... That's something like you'll find as a, an entree in a, in a mm-hmm. canapes in a modern table, really. Watermelon meat, yeah, perfect. <laughs> it sounds modern. Yeah, exactly. And there's the um, some of the some of the ones. There's there's a recipe for uh, it's like eggs. It's a bit like you know deviled eggs. Deviled eggs, and yeah, exactly. So there's, there's, there's very similar very similar things that were used as starters. I just I love it. I love. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I find it so fascinating. Um, it's, I always think it quite, it's quite interesting. I've I've been to a couple of um, there's a couple of places I've seen. I've never been to one yet. It's one of my goals. And there's a couple of restaurants named Apicius, uh, both in this country and in Italy, and actually in Tokyo. I've come. I've happened to walk past them. Really, I was I was in. That's quite interesting. That they just there's still there's still that kind of legacy. <laughs> Of, you know, even though we might not use the word Apician anymore, the kind yeah. of, still that you know that concept that Apicius was this this gourmand, this kind of and uh, you know grand ancestor of, of haute cuisine that still still lives with us, even though it's ever so slightly in the names of re- a few restaurants here and there. I always find that quite interesting. I always think um, the uh, the who's a later Roman writer, a Tertullian. Uh, refers to Apicius as the patron saint of cooks, and I was saying that's quite a nice—that's quite a nice way of thinking about him. Possibly, you know, the, even if he, for whatever we don't know about him, there's certainly there's certainly enough smoke. There must be, a, you know, <laughs> there must be enough fire of um, uh, that he must, in some way, have been to, uh, involved in cookery or gastronomy or, or or cuisine in some fashion to for his name to become attached to you know the cookbook and then. To have it, you know, this reputation that's survived two thousand years. Yeah, exactly. I could talk about Apicius for <laughs> great length of time. I find it quite an interesting character, and the Roman cuisine. I find, I just find it, it's just interesting. It's one of my kind of pet projects, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the so one of the things, obviously, they had um, different kinds of vegetables. Uh, obviously, they had onions, but as you said, they, they had lots of different edible bulbs. You said, yeah. Uh, what yeah, hy- yeah, 
Hyacinth, yeah. What else did they have? Do you have you found out really any other interesting edible balls that they had? Yeah, so the I mean they they ate all sorts of bulbs really. So quite a few of the flowering bulbs that we would obviously I don't we wouldn't eat anymore. So the bulbs of the lily and the right. squill the squill, do you think so? Yeah. Um oh, which yeah. uh certainly in some varieties are edible. I don't want to say that all edible all lily bulbs are edible but um uh, and then of course they they still um they choose uh, like garlic bulbs with i think would still would still crop up in roman cooking i think and then uh the uh the grape hyacinth is the type of bulb that gets uh that they consider they consider an aphrodisiac which i think is why it was probably the bulb uh, used in that in, in the recipe for bulbs i mentioned earlier which, uh-huh, which talks uh-huh. about the uh, talks about venus yeah and they, they they're actually still the highest the great hyacinth is still used in um it comes up as uh, part of meze in southern italy and greece i think it's uh, is it vol- volvi i think in greece i think it's called ah uh, yes yes and yes. Um, well, lampascioni i think is in in southern italy Ah, yeah. You see, you forget these things because obviously I've lived here for so long and yeah, (laughs) of course, yeah, now you mention it. I think they had parsnips, right? Parsnips, uh, which I don't think we eat nowadays in uh, Greece or I don't think I've seen them in Italy either. Um, No, it's not. You you don't tend to associate it, do you, with them? With Mediterranean cuisine, certainly I think of parsnips as kind of hearty northern... um, Northern dishes, and I think um, parsnips were, uh, they, they were imported from Germany originally, I think. Right, right. I, th- I think it's one of the uh, Tiberius, the, em- the second emperor, Tiberius, um, imported parsnips. It was his um, luxury or something, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, I mean, he was, he, some of his luxuries leave a lot to be desired, but he, he, had, a thing for <laughs> cu- he had a thing for cucumbers as well, I think. And then ca- uh, carrots were used, but um, mod. Uh, only modern carrots are orange. I think in Roman days, carrots would have been purple or a variety of colours, but they'd have associated purple. Right. Purple carrots is when, when you think of a carrot. But but yeah, they had a they had a huge range of vegetables, that some of which we'd still recognise and some we probably wouldn't. Yeah. Just because yeah. tastes change, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's another interesting, interesting thing that I find with um, ancient Roman and Greek cuisine, that you have all this things that they fell out of fashion and then they crop up somewhere else and then maybe there's a little local place that they still do do it but you haven't heard of and then somebody else says oh yeah yeah but it's still going on yeah exactly yeah of course <laughs> did you find um with lucanakai for example did you because that that crops up in Apicius quite a few times did you, did you find they were quite familiar when you because you made them didn't you yeah mm. um not not all the ingredients not all the ingredients but um Certainly, the use the use of leek and uh, pepper was uh, extremely familiar. Something that you know it was part of most of the sausages that um, I eat from Greece, or when we do it in, in Greece, you know the traditional village sausages that are with leek, black pepper, pork meat, and yeah, smoked you know, or, or cured for a few days, and so on. so that was very very familiar. It was something that um, it wouldn't be out of place in some small village in Greece <laughs> or South Italy for that matter. Yeah, one of the probably the, the most extreme lengths I went to for when I was researching this project was I, I did a butchery course. Right. 
with the with the local um, kind of butchers and charcuterie yeah. in Norfolk. So I, I learned how to make sausages from scratch, but also how to you know properly carve up a, a pig and all sorts of things like that. Which was there's some, I don't know. There's some, it's, it's one of the reasons I wouldn't necessarily advocate going to that length. But there's something about actually getting hands on with the recipes that I think lets you understand um, the kind of mindset, right? The people that have written them, the the people that were eating them, just because it's there's an awful lot of difference between us and people that lived two thousand years ago. But when you're in the kitchen, you're cooking things largely in the same way. You know, you're carving meat or you're preparing meat. It's fundamentally unchanged on a mm. certain level than it was two thousand years ago. When you're we're still eating with the same. I know we said, you know, tastes have changed, but we're fundamentally eating with the same equipment, quite literally with our, te- with our tongues, with our uh, taste buds. That, you know, when you when the recipe is asking for pepper and cumin and parsley and bay leaf and all that sort of stuff, it's the, I think it connects us on that kind of, uh, across time, because we're experiencing the same thing as they were experiencing. And there's not many things that you can do that with. No, for sure. Studying the agents. I agree with that totally. I think that's uh, that's the most most fascinating thing, I guess, uh, from from you know studying these recipes and actually cooking them. Uh, yeah, it connects you with the past totally. It's like a time machine. I don't think there's another equivalent that takes you so close to the ancient past. No, than... definitely not, because that that experience is so their experience is so far removed from ours on so many different levels. There's so many different assumptions and contexts that we don't have that they would have had. But even going to ancient Rome or to like a Roman site is so different than we can't we can't assume that they would have experienced it in the same way that we do because it's such a long time ago yeah but with food I think it, it it does act as a bridge it's one of the I think you're right it's one of the only things that does connect us so closely in such a yeah in, in such an intimate way exactly yeah as you say intimate way yeah fantastic thank you so much uh, for joining that's okay thanks for having me um i hope you're keeping well and uh, staying safe uh, at home <laughs> yes mostly spending time in my kitchen baking and cooking actually excellent seems appropriate <laughs> yeah 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 i think everybody does that now uh, what else can you do absolutely uh, apart from obviously doing a podcast about uh, food yeah when well, we're not cooking food we're talking about food have a lovely evening yes you too thank you so much thanks for inviting me on that was- yeah, that's, yeah, you're welcome. It's good, it's good to talk. Yeah, yes, the podcast exactly. As well. it's, always, I, I, it's a highlight of my podcast diary. <laughs> Great. Okay. Have a lovely evening. See you. See you. Yeah, okay. yeah, speak to you Confusion. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Bye. Bye. And that's all for this week's episodes. Thank you for listening. I've been Thomas Dinas, and this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it, and see you in two weeks' time. Remember, if you want exclusive content, the podcast episodes earlier, and ad-free, join me on Patreon under the Delicious Legacy name. Here, for just $3 per month, you can have all the above. This way, you'll help me create the episodes faster, release them quicker, and concentrate more on researching other interesting subjects from the ancient world. Additionally, you will get straight to your inbox lots of exclusive material, such as recipes, images, and other tailor-made content. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.